This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today I'm going to be discussing a not so awesome but necessary topic of abandonment. I'm going to be going through the topics of what abandonment is, what are the schemas or core beliefs that can develop in early childhood through cognition, as well as common traps of relationships that people can get into when they um, come from a past of development, um, abandonment issues in their early development, avoiding extremes when it comes to never or always having those types of belief systems and finding some gray area, finding some middle ground, and then also the recovery from abandonment issues and not perpetuating the past issues into the future, which can be a lot more difficult to do than just talk about. But um, for me personally, I've dealt with a lot of what I'm about to talk about and done my best to navigate it and currently still do navigate a lot of these things. Abandonment is something that a lot of people have dealt with in their life in one way or another, and I think that it is something that can affect your life in ways that you're maybe not conscious of if you're not aware of these things, and it's important to just take the peel the curtain back and look at what's really going on, decipher it, sort through it, and make whatever you can um, out of it, make the best of it. And not let it be something that holds you back in life. So hopefully some of the things that I share today um, are insightful and maybe help you process some of the things that you've been through in your past regarding abandonment or maybe question some of the things um, in a different way that will allow you to move on from different situations that you've been through at your own pace. So Getting into, first off, what abandonment is, you know, usually in childhood, survival depends on caregivers. For some people, they have parents. For some people, they have nannies. For some people, they're adopted. For some people, they have two mothers, two fathers, an aunt, um, and a grandmother that's raising them. You know, there's all type of different caregiving situations. And when it comes to how much a child can really do on their own, there's only so much a child can do to fend for their own. They can't really be expected to acquire their own food or necessarily work. And, you know, of course, there are a lot of different situations globally where that is unfortunately a case um, where children are trafficked and they are abandoned um, to that extent. However, biologically, this is not something that we're necessarily um, meant to experience. And there is, uh, you know, that's looking at more of an extreme example, but, you know, it is unreasonable to expect a child to be completely self-sufficient. You know, parents who are either emotionally or physically unavailable can leave their child feeling abandoned, overwhelmed, and um Parents who are either emotionally or physically unavailable can leave their child feeling abandoned because they either can't go to them for, you know, to meet these different needs that they have. And understanding that parents 
can be really overwhelmed with having a child. Sometimes it's just like, okay, like I wish I didn't have a child. I've heard that from parents before, or, you know, sometimes I don't like my kid. You know, these are things that kind of are said behind the scenes sometimes that are really difficult to fathom. Um, and you would never want to be on the receiving end of that kind of treatment or someone talking to you about that. But, you know, this is, this is the truth. A lot of parents do get overwhelmed and they want to check out. Some of them go to substances. Sometimes they just distract themselves. Um, there's a lot of different ways that people can start to engage in that type of behavior where they're just not present or, um, available. You know, um, fear of abandonment is a really natural survival response for most children. You know, people need to feel safe internally on a mental aspect, um, away and stay away from emotional abuse as well as physical abuse. You know, there's a general sense of safety that contributes to a person's overall well-being. And um, those things definitely contribute to a source of stability within a person's life. And if that's not being um, experience, it can lead to other issues. Meeting biological needs and s- staying safe are really key triggers to anxiety at any age. You know, if there are certain biological needs that are not being met, talking like food, shelter, water, interaction, um, adequate sleep, adequate activity, these types of things, um, and safety on top of that is being threatened, this can be a really huge trigger for anxiety really at any point in life. When, you know, there's such a high focus on survival, people really can't focus on anything else. When you take someone who's in pain, homeless, hungry, sick, not going to be necessarily at that point focused on working on self-esteem or relationship needs, they're really focusing on basic needs that have to be met you know, oftentimes people can be hurt by the people that are meant to love them the most. This is not uncommon and made to believe like, you're not okay. You're not worthy of my attention. I have better things to do. And this can lead to a child or an individual feeling a lack of acceptance and that people end up later in life going to other places to find, you know, negative relationships, abusive relationships, or even drugs for more of the chemical high of finding that solution of, you know, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. These are chemicals that are released in the brain when we interact with other people. And, you know, we're built for relationship. We're built for community. We're built to be uh, not not in isolation. So when people are experiencing that, sometimes people go to a chemical high to try to um, recreate that feeling or just to not be in that much emotional pain, which is obviously not the healthiest way to deal with things. But, um, you know, that is with compassion. I have compassion for people that are going through that because at the time people are doing the best with what they can. You know, every stressful situation, unfortunately, when you're in this mentality becomes a crisis in an insecurely attached child. And you know, I'm going to go through securely attach, secure attachment and insecure attachment a little bit later on. Um, but in regards to this, you know, securely attached children may feel anxiety when a parent leaves them for any amount of time, like when they go to school or at their friend's house or, um, you know, if they have to be left somewhere for a while because their parent has to go do something. But, um, 
they adjust and are happy to see the parents return, whereas an insecurely attached child may be terrified when the parents leave. And when they do come back, they're either really clingy or super rejecting because they feel really hurt and they have a resentment about that. And um, it can just be a really painful experience. And what that can lead to if it's done on a consistent basis is going from like a one to 100 on a scale of being terrified of abandonment. And this can lead to further issues in, later in life. You know, if you let this person out of your sight, if they critique you or disagree with you in a relationship, they are rejecting you and will abandon you. Like these are the type of absolute extreme thoughts that people can get into and it can really prevent them from having healthy relationships. It can prevent them from having healthy friendships with people and just realizing, you know, yeah, like kind of I talked about this in an episodes last week and previous about social media and mental health, and I've just broached it on a few other episodes, just talking about, like, you know, you can see somebody who has a totally different life than you and be respectful of that and be like, yeah, okay, like, there's there's some similarities, there's some differences, but, um, you know, we don't have to agree on everything in order to get along, um, you know, that type of thing where it's just like it doesn't have to be all or nothing in order to feel a sense of security in that relationship. But when it does get to a point where abandonment has become so toxic that it has affected people's trust to that extent, you know, it can lead to a lot of other issues. I think one of the things that is very important when it comes to this, which is unreasonable really to expect children to be able to do just because of their cognitive development. I'm not saying that children are not capable of this by any means, but it's unreasonable that this is going to be something that's instinctual. It needs to be taught and kind of um, given as education to kids. But I think, you know, for most of you most likely listening to this, you're at a point of cognitive development where you're not a child. And um, if these things are coming up for you, I think there are really useful tools within cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy that um, really emphasize on checking in with cognitive distortions about these past situations, challenging negative thinking patterns and seeing, is there another way to think about this, you know, hopefully without overwhelming yourself to the point of overthinking things and that being debilitating and paralyzing, which it can be um, if you allow it to. You know, next thing I want to get into are what are the schemas and the core beliefs um, that are formed in early childhood cognition and how does this affect the development of someone's psychology? You know, parents might be physically there in a child's life or not. You know, there's a lot of divorced families, broken families, quote unquote, um, families that have a totally not necessarily like a traditional upbringing and stuff. And, you know, regardless of that, I think I've been able to see just because a child comes from a divorced family does not mean that they're going to be damaged. Just because a child comes from a non-traditional background does not mean they're going to be damaged. I think that I've seen a lot of um, peers and people grow up in my life that have come from really unique situations that are not the typical and they've become very well-adjusted, successful people and they've been able to work through um, whatever they've gone through in a positive way. So I think that there definitely is a lot of hope for that. Um, however, some people and many people do get kind of lost in the cracks as far as, 
um, getting stuck into addiction, negative behavior patterns, these types of things, because this is something that can be really difficult to navigate. Now, when um, parents are sometimes physically there, but mentally and emotionally absent or just off, this can be really distressing to a child. You know, parents do the best that they can with what they know. You know, however, those aren't always the optimal choices. And I think as best we can, I think everybody's always doing the best they can. And I don't want to put anybody down because I genuinely believe that in whatever situation we're existing in and like experiencing in our life, we will be able to do the best we can with what we have in that time. And it's important to not be so judgmental on ourselves, um, you know, if that really is the best we can do. And only you know that for yourself um, as far as if you're if you're doing that. And that's an individual choice and responsibility, especially when you bring children into the world. You know, people's beliefs about other people and their relationships are largely formed from their interactions with their caregivers when they're growing up. You know, children dealing with abandonment from adults can sometimes have a lot of challenges with this. Um, You know, there are situations where parents have to go away for work, military, or they may have their parents pass away. And I think if another parent can help a child work through these abandonment issues, things can be okay. And this is not to say that every child will have abandonment issues abandonment issues in these situations. You know, if caregivers are inconsistently or unpredictably physically or emotionally present or absent, this can cause emotional distress, lead to, um, you know, addiction or, you know, they may be dealing with a lot of distress and and dealing with a lot of addiction issues themselves and be ill-equipped to deal with a child. And we see this with a lot of teen pregnancies and sometimes the households they come from, there's not a lot of boundaries and restrictions that are healthy in that sense that keep a child from perpetuating a cycle that is, you know, not really the best. You know, like it's not common for a 14 year old to be really well equipped to be a parent. You know, a 14 year old is still a child in a lot of senses. And although there is a biological existence of being able to give birth, that does not mean that ultimately they are mature enough to really be handling that type of responsibility in a modern society that we live in today. And again, I just need to state that parents are not bad people. Everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. I really do believe that. If a child is a poor fit or a family kind of considered a black sheep, which we see this in narcissistic triangulation, um, where there's a golden child, um, kind of like a black sheep of the family, and then there's um, the narcissist and the enabler. Um, You know, the triangulation will happen between the narcissist, the black sheep of the family and the golden child and the golden child will be used as an example that'll be heavily praised to bash um, the kind of black sheep of the situation and that can lead towards a lot of other issues so that can be abusive in its own way and many people experience that as well and it's you know uncomfortable to be on the receiving end of that when you feel like you're constantly being compared to someone who has different gifts and talents and abilities than you do 
and you're not being respected or valued for whatever you bring to the table in the same way. And because whatever another person does yields other results and you're viewed as less than or less successful or um, less valuable to someone's life, it really, at the end of the day, should not make a difference, although it, it can be very hurtful to be on the receiving end of that and feel like, oh, I failed these people. At the end of the day, you have to take care of yourself and do things that are going to, you know, not only be what's best for you, but what's best for the world, what's best for your contribution to society. And at the end of the day, any one person or group of people's opinion about that, your identity cannot be like formed off of that. And I think that takes self-efficacy and confidence and um, you know, being self-affirmed to really go down that path, which is not easy. Um, but if you live for the opinion of other people, I mean, that's just a really not going to be um, a very sustainable and like it's just not not a good way to live because people can like you one moment and then turn on you the next, especially in the society that we live in today. So being self you know, assured is just incredibly important, especially in today's age. You know, um, children cannot be expected on a developmental level to understand that mommy or daddy isn't emotionally available right now because of X, Y, and Z situations, even though, let's face it, adults are going through a lot of intense stuff um, at any point in their life. And I think it's just important when you commit to be a parent that you carve out time in your schedule to um, be able to make those things happen. And that is not always the easiest thing for everybody. But, you know, I've known a lot of amazing parents and even guests that have come on this podcast that have extremely busy schedules and they have children and they make it work and they use modern tools and technology to check in with their kids and make sure everybody's doing okay. And nobody's perfect by any sense. However, this is something that, you know, there are a lot of ways it it can work to people's benefit. You know, let's say if a, a parent has to travel a lot, you can FaceTime, you can video chat with somebody, you can send videos, you can check in with your kids, you can text message. You know, there are tools for communication that can allow people to feel not as abandoned in their life. And um, that is, you know, a sensible solution that when worse comes to worse can be definitely used. Now, when it comes to reactions to abandonment, oftentimes people can get into a fight or flight mode when it comes to these feelings. Anger towards someone who is unavailable, they can feel sad, um, which leads to a lot of helplessness. Um, for example, when someone goes away, there's nothing that they can do to really change that. And that can be really distressing. They may have anger towards someone who's unavailable. They may be... Um, they may feel a sense of shame or also characterize as self-anger or blame. And this can tend to people feeling really um, uncomfortable with being needy. Like they might feel needy, but they actually are just having a completely healthy response to want to have interaction with another person. And it's that the other person is acting in a very um, either negligent or ambivalent way and they're like, wow, like, why do I feel needy right now when whatever I'm feeling is actually completely normal to, like, want to have interaction with this person? But 
I'm feeling pushed away by them. This feels odd. Um, and this can lead also towards a fear of rejection, isolation, loss of control, and just really being scared of the unknown and feeling like a failure. And when you're growing up with these types of ideas in your head, it can lead people to be really paranoid, really like not able to trust other people. And it's something that can be just really damaging to future relationships. Schemas are a broad way of perceiving things based upon memories, feelings, and thoughts. So, for example, when you're growing up and you say, oh, when I put my hand over a stove, it's hot, I probably wouldn't want to touch that, or maybe you accidentally burn yourself or something, you're going to know, okay, if I do that, that's probably what's going to happen. If so-and-so leaves, I'm going to feel this way, and this is what's probably going to happen. You know, schemas that trigger abandonment fears center around the self. You know, it's it's kind of egocentric. And for a child, that's children do think in very egocentric ways because they're they're very concerned with um, their own well being at that time. Um, which, of course, with maturity, can you know be expanded upon. But one of the things that um, some of the things that come up are acceptability. You know, children can feel a huge sense of rejection if they're not accepted by their caregivers or people in their life. This is, you know, the questioning of, is this person going to like me? I, you know, don't know if I'm accepted, you know, versus a child going into the world and being like, I'm confident in my skin. I feel good about myself. I'd love to interact with you, but if you don't want to, I'm okay with that and I'm going to keep it moving. You know, that's kind of more of a self-assured um, place of coming from self-acceptance of being like, I like who I am. I'm happy to interact. If you don't want to, that's fine. Versus being like, I don't like myself. No one likes me. No one's going to ever want to like, you know, engage with me and I'm just not even going to try, which perpetuates isolation, depression, and that can lead to other things that are, you know, really negative. Being lovable is also another really, um, substantial concern. This can also lead to isolation. You know, if someone is perceived as unlovable because they're treated by the people that are their caregivers, really the people that are meant to care about them the most or supposed to, you know, perception wise, it's, you know, they can be perceived as unlovable from within. They believe that whatever they're doing in their life is, they're not worthy of that. And they might build up barriers if they, um, you know, start to fall in love with somebody or they start to love somebody, they feel like maybe they'll be rejected and be alone forever because that person is eventually going to leave them and it can really affect their ability to have healthy connections with other people because from within, they're being, you know, reaffirmed again and again through other people's actions and behaviors and words and emotions towards them that they're not worthy of being loved. They're not worthy of um, giving any attention to or something like that. And this is really, really damaging. When it comes to um, competence, this can lead somebody to believe that they are a failure. Like everything that they do or say is wrong. It's never good enough. Parents sometimes don't acknowledge the positive achievements and are very harsh and critical to be around and be like, that's never good enough. You can always do that better. You could have done this better. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like, can you ever be happy for, you know, 
the positive things that have happened, this is something that I think is really, really important. Um, when it comes to offering criticism, I think there's different personality types that are able to be on the receiving end of criticism a little bit better than others. Some people are just like, give it to me straight. I don't have any probably problem taking this. Like, it's all good. Like, I know it's meant for my benefit. For others, they they are open to criticism, but it might be better to kind of sandwich it. Be like, you did this really great. This could need a little bit of work, but this is also really awesome. Like, kind of just sandwich the criticism with some compliments Sometimes that works better for people, and that's important to keep that in mind for each person. So, you know, people should not be criticized for being sensitive or, um, you know, feel like they need to be hard as nails and, uh, you know, they're indestructible and stuff. Like, no, like people are human and they have emotions and feelings. And it's important to take these things into consideration because it can be really hurtful and damaging. Um you know, when people are, are just straight up disrespectful and um, lack empathy and compassion for what another person's going through in their life. Another thing that can be really um, a concern is adaptability or the ability to tolerate a loss of control. And I've spoken about this before, about how there are certain things that you can practice having influence over, but the more you release the concept of being in control of things, I really do feel like the healthier you can be in your life because you don't have to, there's no, there's no need to feel like you're in control of everything all the time because the fact of the matter is there are far more variables that are far out of our control, far more out of our control than they are in our control. The best we can do is learn the skills to adapt and um, be able to work in different situations where we can practice having influence over our own emotions and influence over the situations for for better. And that is um, really just, I think, a, a healthier approach on it because if you focus on having control in situations and, you know, there's always going to be factors that are going <laughs> to throw whatever it is you're trying to control off and um, control is just very much an illusion. Taking an introspective look at the past as far as how we've reacted to these things rather than how we can respond to things now is also very important. I think part of what can be used as like a typical journaling exercise or something like that, we can go back to a painful situation that we might have compartmentalized at a point of our life in order to just survive and move on from it and not dwell on that issue. But allowing it to come up and process it can be really important and think like, well, I went through this at that time and this is how I reacted to it. How can I think about it differently now and respond to it differently with a more mature way of thinking about things? You know, that's, I think, very important. When it comes to children, temperament is usually really different. There's introverted and extroverted and just a sliding scale all the way up and down and side to side uh, anywhere on that kind of plot. So if abandonment and fears are triggered, um, that can be addressed. You know, someone who's introverted is going to need different attention than someone who's extroverted. And, um, you know, it really 
based on their needs, a caregiver's reaction to children can help form schemas or for core beliefs that about the world or others that are really helpful or not so helpful. Children under the age of seven are really developing at, um, you know, differently than they are after eight years old. Children tend to think dichotomously. They are egocentric. They can only typically focus on one aspect of things at a time. It's really difficult for children to think abstractly or consider other possible options. Whereas after eight years old, they're, you know, developing alternate cognitive skills. Many children can end up internalizing things or blaming themselves for why things went wrong. Um, And when it comes to different attachment styles within introverted or extroverted kids, there's, you know, coming back to that secure and insecure attachment. Secure attachment is an emotionally, usually comes when there are emotionally available caregivers where the parents are there for their kids, they can talk to them about things and You know, the child will seek out the caregiver for comfort, and if the kid is upset when their caregiver leaves, especially in new situations, the child may be happy when the caregiver returns. And they will learn to trust other people, be responsive, be self-reliant, try new things, but if they fail, they know that they can return to home base, um, you know, within that that healthy family dynamic and have the self efficiency as well as interdependency to go through different situations in life and not feel like, okay, if I mess up, it's the end of the world or I'm going to be so harshly judged and no one's going to love me and I'm just, you know, a waste or whatever. Um, You know, they're able to adapt to a variety of different situations, deal with stress, have accurate expectations of others, not over expect things or expect nothing at all of people. Um, But oftentimes there are other times, you know, to have a completely present parent is not always the case for everybody. Sometimes there's, you know, what is to be considered more of an avoidant type parent, which is a rejecting harsh caregiver. It really depends, um, you know, the child may depend on the caregiver for security in regards to you know, meeting needs as far as living space and food and shelter, these types of things. However, the parent may show very little response um, to the child and in turn, the child may show very little response to them when the caregiver leaves or returns. You know, they're not very excited or very let down. It's just like whatever. You know, the child may learn to not depend on the caregiver for comfort or connection in any way for security. There's also kind of an ambivalent situation when it comes to parents, um, parent-child relationships. This type of caregiver who is ambivalent is oftentimes inconsistent or chaotic. You know, the child will end up having a lot of anxiety, be afraid to explore things because they don't have that sense of stability that everything's going to be okay. And so they're just, you know, trying to grasp on to whatever stability that they possibly can. And the child may come off as very clingy or demanding or trying to elicit a response from another person, even through negative attention. This is where you see some kids that will get into a, like very rebellious behavior just because like they know that they'll get attention even if it means their parent is yelling at them. That's better than getting no attention at all. 
And um, oftentimes they'll get upset when the caregiver leaves, but also unconsolable when the caregiver returns. Be like very resentful and very hurt by that and just not forgiving very much. So how this can lead to common traps in relationships is that, you know, when you have a past of dealing with abandonment, it can leave you with a lot of trust issues to the point that you feel like you'll never be able to love anyone because they will leave you and they will break your trust and it will just lead to all these problems. And it becomes easier to not just not allow people into your life or to reject people before you're the one to be rejected to avoid living through all of that pain over and over again. Um, you know, when all the while you're nonetheless in a state of pain as it is, and these actions to protect yourself are really coming from a place of fear rather than being in a stable, supported mindset. And this kind of comes from core abandonment beliefs that can be restructured and looked at a little bit differently um, if there is that time and attention given to that. When it comes to abandonment, there's this overarching belief by people who have intense abandonment issues that all people will leave. The truth of the matter is that everybody will die. Um, What happens after that is, you know, largely unknown to us. However, that is a fact of life that we will all die. We will all face our own death at one point and people will leave this earth and things don't always have happy endings like we see in movies where the guy gets the girl and all this stuff like a lot of endings in life are not always the happiness the happiest that's the truth but the fact of the matter is we can make the best out of whatever has come when we are equipped with the tools to do so and rather than living in complete isolation it's important to be open minded to the gray area, not living in complete black and white absolutes, which I'll get into a little bit later. But um, when it comes to avoiding, you know, the the extremes of things. However, this can lead to a lot of mistrust that people will hurt, reject, take advantage of me, or just not be there for me when I need them. These types of thoughts can come up in people that have had this in intense emotional deprivation like i i don't get the love that i need and no one understands or cares about me even when my needs are attempted to be met by myself or anybody else people can feel like a complete failure like they don't measure up and they're not able to succeed so they may see other people having happy healthy relationships and be like i don't know what that is i don't i've never experienced that and i don't think that i'll ever be able to have that However, these people at some point learned how to make things work and I just come from the belief system that like you're able to create the life that you want when you set your intentions that that's what you're going to do and that is it's a strength that it takes to get through really challenging situations in your life and even though it can be really overwhelming to think that that's even an option because you may come from a past where you just feel so incredibly damaged and hopeless and like nothing good is going to happen for you. Having any amount of hope can really pull you out of that mindset and hopefully set you on a better path just knowing that anybody cares um, out there about your well-being and 
at the very least, it'll keep you from exploring extremes. So that really does come to my next point, where is how do we avoid the extremes and find more of a middle ground gray area? You know, just because you don't agree with some people doesn't mean that you're wrong or they're right. It doesn't mean that you um, have anything less than anybody else. You know, it can be so difficult to convince people that they are good people and that there are good people out there in the world and that, you know, they won't be abused or hurt by another person. Some people have been so incredibly damaged in their life by circumstances that they've been exposed to. And it's important to be compassionate in these situations because we've all been through things in our life. We don't know the details of every individual's experience, you know, only to the degree that they share it with us and they're vulnerable. That's not a requirement in order to be loved either. I think like there are certain things that you can process and be private and as positive as possible about when you're dealing with your own um, struggles and issues with people that are in your life. However, when you've been damaged so many times and you feel so damaged and like that ability to be resilient is just, you know, really weighing heavy on you and you're feeling a little bit lost in how to navigate that, it can be really overwhelming. And, you know, I think it's important that we eventually get to a place where um, you realize that what happened in your past is not 100% your fault. And some would argue that none of it is your fault, that there's a lot of circumstances that, again, were out of your control that you couldn't do anything to change as much as you could have prayed on it or tried to manifest or like anything. There are certain things that were just so out of your control that it was, it would be completely unreasonable and irrational to think that, you know, you would hold any responsibility for that. But oftentimes a lot of people can be like, no, this is my fault. They feel like an intense shame, like a dark cloud over their ability to be happy. And, you know, it's, um, it can be really painful to navigate that, um, alone. And, you know, we really do want to get to a point where we can have a level of awareness where it doesn't cause a cutting of all ties and leaving the party quote unquote early, even though, um, you know, if things are leading towards isolation and depression, it's important to do whatever you can to navigate out of that space. You know, when it comes to unhelpful reactions to these feelings of abandonment after someone may have been triggered is aggression, hostility, blaming people, criticizing people, trying to exercise dominance or control on others, um, you know, recognition seeking to get attention, validation or approval. I mean, these alone, I can think of so many examples of how people do this in their personal lives and in their public lives to do this. It's like, um, you know, even when it comes to social media and posting about certain things, I think it's really important to have a level of awareness where you're not doing things just because, oh, well, something's going off in my uh, personal life, so I'm going to publicly get some attention a different way, and that's going to be my source of validation. I think it's really important to take a step back and fill your cup up from within first, deal with with whatever you're dealing with, and then, you know, speak from a place of as much strength as possible um, to turn whatever you've been to into something positive. 
um, and not kind of be like reckless in that way because then you might end up doing something that is putting your value and your self-worth into a process that is not the healthiest. And I think that recognition and attention seeking is it's so fleeting and it's so unstable and to put your worth in that is just not, in my opinion, a very good use of your energy. People can also go down a path of manipulation and exploitation, seduction, lying to people, justifying things, throwing people under the bus, exposing people, um, you know, for, you know, private details in their life and stuff. And, you know, that's not the healthy way to deal with whatever you're going through because ultimately that's just going to cause a lot more pain and negative karma on a person and it's not really getting to the root of the issue. It's just reckless and reactive rather than being kind of more conscious and responsive when it comes to dealing with the issues. Um, you know, and another thing as far as kind of being a little bit more dismissive is that people can end up making excuses for others in in a inappropriate behavior and being like, oh no, like maybe I deserved that because I did this and that and it's okay that they did that to me because no, like you never deserve to be abused or put down or like treated poorly by anybody for any reason. Like you need to stick up for yourself in this life. Like the most important thing in your life is your life at the end of the day. I'm not saying that from a narcissistic self-centered perspective, but really no one is going to take care of you the way that you will take care of yourself if you invest the time and the energy to really put that in there, you know, into your, your routines and your lifestyle and all these types of things. Um, you know, there may be people out there that care about you more than you care about yourself at certain points of your life um, for whatever reason. However, it is important that an individual works on that for themselves and that they are not codependent, dependent, or completely independent of anybody else or for anybody else in their life um, in order to have the healthiest kinds of relationships which really are interdependent relationships. You know, these things can lead to people being clingy or chasing to want to fight or just complete withdrawal physically, emotionally, or, you know, going into addictions, just not being present. They can be led towards distractions as far as kind of pushing down these types of emotions and not really wanting to deal with it or discuss it. Um, and this can come in the form of social media, unhealthy substance abuse, whether it's overeating, um, overexercising, overuse of any type of a habit or behavior in their life. You know, sometimes people have to have distance from another being because that's healthier for the time um, that the whole issue is being worked out, but they will eventually find the time to work through it. So that in itself can feel like abandonment. But really, I think there are points in time where you have to give yourself that space to deal with different issues and let things breathe for a while and let people cool off and come back to it when you're a little bit more calm and centered and you can clearly articulate whatever your beliefs are about the situation to reach a resolution that will be equal on, you know, for both people rather than getting into, again, a reactive blaming, criticizing, manipulative, hot mess, which, um, you know, those conversations and those arguments, they don't really lead towards anything getting anywhere. It just is like canned heat being 
released and it's like wildfire. So um, it's important to take a more conscious and healthy approach when it comes to making decisions in current relationships. You know, think about the intimate relationships that you have in your life present and what kind of limiting beliefs are you dealing with if it has anything to do with um, not allowing you to get along with that person to the extent that you would have because you might be harboring um, things from your past. Maybe you're trying to push yourself into moving faster into a relationship Um you know, more than you're really even ready to do. Like, you don't have to do that. It's okay to be like, you know what, I have been through these things. It's important for me to, you know, be a little bit taking things a little bit more slow given what I've been through and whatever. Like, that's okay to discuss that with another person. Like, you should never feel obligated to rush into things or, um, you know, if you don't meet that person's expectations or you don't do whatever they want you to do, then you're going to be abandoned. Well, then you probably don't want that person in your life anyways, because that's just control seeking on their end and even manipulative on their end and, you know, unreasonable. And those aren't the kind of people that you want relationships with in your life. Honestly, you want people that you can be open and genuine with in your life in as many ways as possible. It's important in intimate relationships to get to a point, I think, where people know the darkest sides of you and they won't judge that or use it against you. And instead, they will continue to be empathetic, compassionate, and loving towards you. And those are rare people to find. um, But I think at the same time, they're not as rare as you would think. So when it comes to recovery from abandonment issues and not perpetuating the past onto your future, it's important to work towards this if it is something that you have dealt with in your past. I mean, connection is something that is a basic human need. We're not meant to live in isolation. And, you know, even if you consider yourself to be an introverted person, it's still very possible to, um, you know, have healthy interaction, human connection to whatever extent that you feel capable of. You know, extroverts oftentimes have a lot of people and friends around them and they like that because they draw energy from those types of interactions rather than feeling drained, whereas, you know, sometimes introverts can end up feeling that way. You know, oxytocin is released in hugs. It's human interaction. We, you know, put a baby on the mother's chest right when she comes out of the womb or he comes out of the womb. Um, You know, we're meant for, you know, it feels good to like hug somebody or interact with somebody in a physical way. Like that is something that we are built for, um, just to have somebody put their hand on your back or hold your hand or, um, you know, just be present in your life and offer any type of like a somatic touch sensation. That is something that is received as pleasurable usually for, for most people. Now, creating a new understanding of what actually happened during those times where you felt abandonment, you know, was it really all your fault or at all your fault or was someone else not stepping it up enough or whatever in your opinion and doing what they needed to do? You know, we all fall short in certain areas from time to time and it's important to communicate with people and work through and heal these things and be like, you know, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings or this was not my intention or like, you know, this doesn't affect like how much I care about you. These types of things need to be said and like, you know, we're going to move forward and do things differently. 
it's important to have those conversations and not be like, okay, well, I have too much pride to be able to, um, to not to be able to like actually communicate with this person. And I just need to be immature and, um, you know, hang on to my beliefs about things and this person can get lost or whatever, you know, just kind of taking more of a arrogant approach to things. It's not always the most helpful as far as healing for both parties, um, you know, and it, it takes two to cause an issue and it takes two people to heal an issue. So, um, and sometimes you don't get the forgiveness that you want from another person. And sometimes you're not going to hear the apology from another person. You have to forgive them without doing that just for yourself in order to move forward and be like, you know what? I know I didn't deserve this. I know that they didn't deserve this. And I'm going to choose to move on, you know, with my dignity intact and not make things worse. You know, um, what does a healthy relationship look like actually? I mean, it's kind of rare to find these days. And I think this is something that is fairly ideal. You know, when people are in relationships, they are going to argue, they're going to have disagreements about things, they're going to have varied amounts of communication about certain topics. This is to be expected. But I think in a baseline presence versus abandonment, acceptance versus rejection, emotional support and compassion versus emotional unavailability, trustworthiness versus untrustworthiness, you know, feeling safe rather than feeling unsafe or like they're in a harmful environment. You know, these are typically characteristics of a healthy versus unhealthy type of a relationship. And that's different for every person in regards to what they're capable of coping with. You know, many of us form our sense of self from some of the most painful experiences that we've been through in our life and really from how some of the people that have been closest to us hurt us. You know, people that were really meant to be the people that loved us the most and treated us, you know, during the hardest times of our lives that we've lived through. And our sense of self is sometimes derived from that you know and and people get stuck into this cycle of feeling so worthless and you know invaluable and no like i think at the end of the day you really have to have a strong ability to challenge these beliefs and experiences and you know that's just something that's really important to do because there are people that are going to tell you the nastiest stuff you know, mean, cruel, horrible things. And I think uh, to some extent you have to be able to push that aside and know your worth and not allow that to take you over and not allow that to break you to the point where you end up believing it. Because for every person out there that has something negative to say about you, I guarantee you there's somebody else out there that is going to be compassionate, empathetic, and understanding towards your situation is going to be able to help you through whatever you need to get through. That just really is a lot of like how the world works. Like even people that have been through horrible situations or done things that, you know, would be considered absolutely terrible in the eyes of others. There's a way to see things and get out of things and be positive 
about your situation, whatever it is, even if you feel like you're the worst person in the world, you know, you can bring yourself to a place of stability within your own life and not allow the opinions and actions of other people really affect your ability to function to the extent that you no longer feel like you're worthy of being here. You know, understand that it's very important to have belief in your own abilities and even having spiritual practices in your life which help you through those dark times. Sometimes you really have to rely on something that's outside of yourself that's going to bring you through the difficult experiences that you're going to face in your life. And um, it's important to expect that some people will abandon you and betray you in this life, but know that those are people that are probably not meant to have any more of a presence in your life than they did, and that there are other people that are going to be awesome and come into your life and be a positive influence and presence in your life when you continue to move forward. And as difficult as that is, and I understand it's just like, okay, you say that like it's so easy to do. I understand that it's difficult. I've had to do it myself. But you want to pursue the happy, healthy relationships in your life that are going to build you up and that are going to support you and be like a healthy mirror for you to look into that are going to lift you up when you're not feeling well um, in many different ways and support you in those areas of your life. And if you just keep on the path of believing that you will find those types of people in your life, they will come along and you will be able to develop friendships and connections with these people and, um, and just live a more positive life. And, you know, even if you do get abandoned, it's important that we prepare ourselves ahead of time to not be, having an unhealthy reaction when we get triggered and be aware like, okay, I'm feeling abandoned right now and this is how I'm going to choose to deal with it. I'm going to reaffirm myself that I'm worthy of being loved, that this situation is not entirely my fault or my fault at all and you know, this is what I want for my life. This is what I'm going to do to pursue it and I'm going to keep going and there are people that are going to care about me and my life, even if they're not in my life right now. And I have compassion for this person that is not choosing to be present in my life right now. And just keep moving forward because you deserve to. Let that go as much as you possibly can. I understand it's easier said than done, but when you start walking down that path of forgiving what's been done to you and being thankful for what you have and continuing to make the most out of that, the most, you know, prosperous growth that you have in your life can come from those times. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. 
I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential.